0: I would encourage you to think about the taking the class. We offer these classes with the intentionality of people becoming as biblically literate as we can because that becomes the basis by which we live our lives. We establish a a Christian perspective on life that flows from the scriptures and as a result of that it it informs us on how we ought to live and I encourage you to take Marty's class. You know it's so important to learn how to interpret the Bible. Be good interpreters because the Bible is full of various kinds of literature. You need to understand that, the message that flows from those passages. Also, reading through the Bible. Out in the courtyard there, there's a a, a sheet that, say you say, I can't get together in a gym with people, but there's a sheet out there that will follow along with us that you can, by yourself, read through the first five books when we're doing that. You can do that on your own. Or else you can grab one of the books that are out there, 10 bucks a piece. You can grab a book, and as you do, you might want to say, I'm going to get a few people together. And together we're going to study it, or even a friend, or I know a life group is going to go through the first five books together. But otherwise, join us in the gym. Come and join us as we read together, as we discuss together. I'm just very, very significant when we can spend time like that. Also, Revelation on uh, Wednesday night, and also every other Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock is a sing and study, singing the hymns of the faith, and then we're going through the book of Matthew. And anybody can come to that. It's not just for seniors. Anybody can join us. So I encourage you, we give these opportunities because we really feel Bible literacy and growth is a rhythm and the heartbeat of Roosevelt Covenant. Let's pray. Gracious God, I ask that you would uh, help us to think deeply this morning about joy, think deeply about what it means to be one, what it means to be the people of faith that deeply care for each other. As we do, Father, we experience a deep sense of joy the joy that comes from your spirit that works and moves among us Amen. My youngest daughter takes her personal task to equip me with the latest technology when the first uh, smartwatch came out Samsung smartwatch, I had one under the tree this year she gives me this thing called a rocket book wave anybody familiar with this one rocket book wave it's new you write in this thing And then at the bottom, there's six places that you can click. You just bring your phone right down on it. It will take that page and send it to anywhere you want. And once you're done, you filled up the whole book, you're done. You stick it in the microwave, and it erases everything that you've written so you can start over again. (laughs) When I was explaining this to Colleen, her eyes, she says, you can see my eyes just light up, you know. You better get the Rocket Wave book, folks. You know, I get happiness, and I do like technology, I do like it, I I do like what it can do. As I get older, I just appreciate it for what it can do and help my life. But, you know, that's things that bring happiness. But we really want to delve deeply this season together to look at the issue of joy. Barnes & Noble had a table of books that are entitled Finding Happiness. Listen to some of the titles. The Joy of Doing Nothing. How's that? That will make you happy, won't it? The things you see when you slow down. That might be a good one. Five minutes calm, just sit. Boy, that's really uh, telling, isn't it? In our fast-paced world, just five minutes. How to meditate. Meditation for fidgety skeptics. How about that one? 10% happier. Do you want 10% happier in your life? Read this book. Secrets of the World's Happiest People. Now these ones are significant. Danish Secrets to a Happy Life, Japanese Secret for a Long Life, this one, Swedish Art of Living Balanced Happy Lives. We better get that one. You know something? There was none of them that were United States Guide to Happiness. There might be a reason why there's none entitled United States Guide to Happiness. Now that is significant. Some of those books might be interesting to read. I kind of like that one, A Fidgety Skeptic. That interests me. But listen to what Paul describes happiness and joy, particularly joy. He is so excited in the book of Philippians that we're going to be looking at that the God who does a work in you and me is going to complete it. He gets all excited about the opportunities, even in his circumstances, that the gospel is being proclaimed and is spreading throughout the known world. That gives him enormous joy. He's so happy, even though people are preaching Christ with wrong motives, he says in the book. But he says, I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. He says, I want to share in the joy of the relationship that he has with his fellow believers, the Philippians. The joy that they experience. He says, I press towards the goal of the upward calling of Christ. And that goal of pressing forward is what gives me joy. And finally, he says, my citizenship is in heaven. And for that, he says, I greatly rejoice. This series, for the next five weeks, and it's exemplified in these banners. You might want to look at those. Nancy Muller does a great job of the banners and the themes. What brings you joy? You know, when we talk about being wholehearted followers of Jesus, which at the heart of Roseville Covenant, sometimes when we hear that, we hear about discipleship, and I've got to follow Jesus, I've got to follow Jesus. Sometimes it feels rather mundane, and sometimes it just feels like we just have to do it. But the wholehearted peace is the key piece. We do it out of a deep understanding of what Christ has done for us, a deep appreciation for that, and that is what brings joy. It's a joyful expression of following Jesus. And joy might be seen as a deeper inner satisfaction that's produced by the Holy Spirit with our focus on the living Christ. It's a deep inner satisfaction. It moves beyond happiness with objects and things we have, which are are fine. But there's a deeper joy. Satisfaction produced by the Holy Spirit with a focus on Jesus. And we ought to be the people of greatest inner joy. Remember when I was growing up, there was the thinking that everybody has to have a smile on their face when they're Christian. you know, So we can show the world that Christianity is authentic and real. Well, I think it's authentic and real. We ought to be real. Sometimes we don't always, expression is of joy because we're going through difficult times. But even in the midst of that, there's an inner sense of joy that we experience in all aspects of life. The book of Philippians, this four-chapter book, 16 times, refers to the word joy. Rejoice or joy. And, of course, he has the big themes Why Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. This is why we rejoice. And this joy that flows from the working of the Holy Spirit. God has a great plan for the believers in his church. But he says also joy in the midst of suffering. and That's a theme of the Apostle Paul. You know his fellow compatriot James says, Consider all joy when you encounter various trials. For the testing of your faith produces endurance. And when endurance has its perfect result, you'll be perfect complete in him. You see, the joy is not in the hard times, necessarily the events we face, but what they do and what they produce in us, the kind of character and quality which is the goal of the Christian life, is to become new people. Even in the midst of that, suffering produces a life that has an inner joy. For five weeks, we're going to look at joy. This morning, briefly, building strong relationships and there was tensions in Philippi, and it was robbing the church of joy. They were not focusing on Christ, and it was a problem. We're going to look next week at choosing to be joyful. It's a mindset, Paul says. It's a mindset of how we see life. We're going to look at praying instead of anxiety or anxiousness. and you know He says that brings joy. We understand how to deal with anxiety and how prayer relates to that. We're going to look at right living. Paul talks about right living, and, and living right brings joy. Living wrong brings suffering. And then we learn the last one, learning to be content. Paul has great things to say about contentment. You see, Paul is writing this book to the Philippians while he's in house arrest. There's three ways a person is incarcerated in ancient Rome. One, they'd be thrown in their terrible prisons. On the other hand, there'd be some that would be in the house of a friend and they would have to guarantee that they come to the court date the other one is that Paul, in his case, was chained to a Roman guard all the time. He could be in his own rented facility, but he was chained to a guard, and he could still conduct business of the church as people came and went. This church of Philippi was established at the riverbanks. There was not even ten men in of uh, Jewish men in the city of Philippi to establish a synagogue. You have to have ten. And so this is not a city that, is, that has an understanding of some truths that flow out of Judaism. This is a, clearly a Greek and a Roman city, a Gentile city. And because of that, there was no synagogue. So Paul went to the riverbank. And there he met some women who met to pray and it started this great church. He had strong affection for this church, the first church in Macedonia, of Greece. And they were incredibly supportive of his ministry. They were a source of encouragement to him. And he reciprocates with encouragement with this letter. The heart of this great letter is, is chapter 2. And you might want to turn your Bibles to chapter 2 of Philippians. This is the heart of the book. The first passage that was read, or Chaz read the first part about encouragement in Christ, and consolation in his love and fellowship of the Spirit and be at one. But it also gives us the example of Christ. In the midst of this church that had particularly two people who couldn't get along two prominent people in the church. In the midst of this, Paul moves in and he talks about the example of Christ who had the same, and we should have the same attitude as Jesus, who was in very nature, did not regard recallity with God something to be grasped or to be taken advantage of, but he humbled himself even in the appearance of a man, humbled himself to the point of death. And therefore God exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess to the glory of God. His example of humility was the model to overcome relational challenges and divisions. There's a strong connection between humility and our ability to experience joy, particularly interpersonally. Joy flows from humility, particular, again, in our relationships. Chapter 4 addresses the root problem. There were two people that appeared who were selfish and had destructive self-interest in this church. These two people were not getting along, and they were not in harmony with one another. And this destructive, it was destructive, and strife is caused often by pride. And in the midst of that, Jesus becomes a supreme example. He recognizes his position in relationship to God, and then he recognizes his position in relationship to us. The imagery of humility, concern for others versus selfish self-interest. My brother went and taught in Swaziland some years ago and he was out of college and he spent three years there. And he, he recited to me an a, a African proverb or African story that really made an impact on my life. And he describes it as a relationship of a scene in heaven and hell. And it can be a, a scene there or it can be a scene on earth between one of self-interest versus one of serving others. He said in hell, or in, in this reality, there's a big, huge cauldron of soup. And every person had a long pole that was established to their arm with, a, with something in the end that they could dip down in and receive some soup. These long poles. Well, the picture of hell is everybody is trying and reaching and grabbing some soup, and, they, and they're trying to bring it back and stick it in their mouth, and there's just no possible way they can do it. But they keep trying, it, and, and nobody is satisfied. But the imagery of heaven is the same picture of a big huge cauldron of soup and what they're doing in is they reach down dip in and they reach across and they feed the person across them and as they do it everybody is fed and everybody is ministered to it's an imagery of course but it's a good imagery the industry of the what's the difference between self-serving life versus a life of humility Humility has a direct correlation to the quality of your relationship with God and with others. You see, God set it up right in creation. There's one God and there's only one. And he's the Lord of the universe. He's called us, made in his image, to come alongside him under his care, to co-manage the earth together with him. So we are positioned between the God of the universe and the rest of the creative order. He puts us perfectly where we belong humble under the mighty hand of God, lifted up because we have dignity and value and worth. And We see that overturned as we see the imagery of the Tower of Babel where we don't like God to be God and we desire to be God and it throws the whole thing out of order. There's a recreation in Christ and we come to know who we are in him under the mighty authority of Christ. And he calls us to co-manage the church under Christ's care, we do it together in Matthew 18. And when we understand the relationship and creation and recreation, we thrive. We find real joy. We desire strong relationships so we can experience joy. In the Old Testament, David says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. In chapter 1 of second chapter of philippians we encouragement in christ make my joy complete be united there's an ethiopian proverb that says threads united can tie even a lion threads tied together can tie even a lion for a moment we experience joy in chapter two he gives us four ways in which we experience joy first we have a similar perspective on things We experience joy in our relationship, and there's nothing that's so more joyful than a body of people called together in Christian community that experience the kind of joy and love for one another. You see, a similar perspective does not mean that everybody has to think the same. There's diversity and unity, not uniformity. When I was growing up, there was a perception I had that the only way that you could be in union with somebody is you had to agree on Everything. And so all the points of theology and all the points of belief, you had to believe all of it. And if there was one or two things you didn't believe, you were kind of outside the fold. But I don't think that's at all the reality that God is trying to unpack or in the sacred word. There's core truths that we hold to. It's the core truths that we're united around that are common to us. We have different views. But one of the core issues, it's really important. And what does the Bible emphasize as core? Things that are frequently recorded in the Bible or something that has deep community impact as part of the core or strategic locations of a belief in the sacred word, Genesis, Romans. But we have to have a common perspective, a commonness of our worldview. And humility gives us the basis of how we treat others who think differently. Understanding where they come from. We'd have a corner on truth and submit ourselves to the belief in community scrutiny as iron sharpens iron based upon the sacred word. The church should be the beacon of hope that understands this for a culture that we never pull apart. And joy we share around these common beliefs that matter and sharing in these things, these common core, gives us joy. Paul also says that we have to have a deep love for one another. Chapter 4, these people didn't get along, these two. They have forgotten Jesus' extreme example of humility and love. Jesus sacrificially humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Why? Because of his unbelievable and deep love for all of us. The core, the core of the gospel. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. If it is not wearied by our sins, our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of of those sins. At whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. So in Kierkegaard, love is seeking the highest good of another human being. Humility and love sacrificially focused on the needs and the well-being of others. You will not experience joy unless we appropriate Jesus' example of deep love in the lives, in the lives of people around us. The most miserable people in the world are those who desperately wanted to be loved, but they take no steps to reach out and love others. Preoccupation with a focus on themselves or ourselves, there is no joy. There is no sense of joy when we, but there is a sense of joy when we lovingly serve each other. Paul in his great writings in 2 Corinthians says, the God of all compassion comforts us. Why? So that when we help can help people who are experiencing trouble and we can comfort them with the love of the comfort of God that God has given to us, there is a natural joy of the church where people genuinely, sacrificially love each other. We also need to allow the Holy Spirit to work. One in spirit, humility of heart and openness to God. That openness to God, that humility of heart is where the Spirit works. He brings people together to experience joy. Unity flows from the Spirit. He's always at work orchestrating unity among God's people. And then we need to share a common goal. A common mind is a common goal, a singleness of mind. Riveted with the gospel. The gospel is the center core. The gospel is the common goal. To propagate the gospel, inner transformation affects the lives and brings joy to all who experience our living Savior. Martin Luther King Jr. says, The Christian gospel is a two-way road. On the one hand, it seeks to change the souls of men and therefore unite them with God. On the other hand, it seeks to change the environment conditions of men so the soul will have a chance to adapt, grow, and change. The central, thing that the, the central goal and purpose is that Jesus Christ may be known and made known. Nothing is of greater joy in the kingdom of God than seeing people come to know and experience the living Christ. Paul says, I consider everything lost. Everything lost for the surpassing worth of knowing my Savior. Unity around the common purpose of the gospel. Church is an exciting place. And we live this out. It's exciting to be part of a place. And you can feel it. When people experience that kind of genuine care. That arises out of a humility of heart. Recognizing our place. Under the mighty hand of God. Under the hand of Christ. Recognizing our dignity that lifts us up. Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts. Announcing the king is in residence today. Walter Knight. Joy is a winsome magnet that draws people to it. Because... It's one thing they do not have. May we experience genuine joy. Paul says there was nothing that mattered more to him than people experiencing the depth of relationships with one another and his admonition of those two folks that were affecting the church is they just simply would understand and simply come together and simply reconcile would make enormous difference in the body of Christ. Joy. Joy is what we're all about. Experiencing that deep inner joy sense of God's presence in our lives as we live it out. Amen.